This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. One minute past nine. Tim, you don't have to rush out. <laughs> One minute past nine and you are tuned to 102.7 3RRR and it's time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm John Ford. How are you, John? I'm doing really well. Excellent. No Tim Thorpe in the Radio Marinara. I think he might be scared of fish. He's run away. Yeah. Mm, he is running away. He's got a fish no, allergy. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't like us. But not Kent. No. Kent loves fish. He does. Thank you, Kent. Good morning, Kent. Is panelling for us today, and um, and uh, yeah, thank you, Tim, for vital bits. Thank you. <sighs> We're back. We're I've been back. away a couple of weeks. I've been in New South Wales. Yeah, enjoying the South Coast. Big shout out to uh, our subscribers in New South Wales. Oh, did, did you got any Bermagui subscribers that you sort I of don't just know about catch up with? No, don't know about Bermagui. Um, but uh, I uh, did spot a triple R sticker. Um, on a window of a shop and now I can't remember which one it was. But also, um, big shout out to Candelo. If you live in Candelo and you're listening via streaming, we had a subscriber from Candelo a couple of years ago. I think nice. I mi- incorrectly mispronounced it as Candelo and um, also said that it was near Bermagui. It's actually about an hour and a half away from <laughs> Bermagui, but, um, you know, in the in the rough vicinity. It's all part of the Sapphire Coast, right? Yeah. yeah. there's um, Dave Graney's actually playing up there in nice. a week or so and there's a music festival uh, the Candelo Music Festival, which looks amazing. So it was a bit hard to drive away and not be able to go to that. There's a few music festivals on oh. the weekend. I'm sure maybe half our listeners are off doing things like that. That's but, it. you know. Melbourne you know, Town's quiet. That's it. Mm. Yes. Or you might be down at Bell's Beach. Yep, Bell's Classic's on. Bell's Classic mm. on this weekend. And the surf looks pretty... Uh, looks, okay, yeah, yeah, decent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're going to do our surf report? Oh, uh, No. <laughs> Hey, uh, our I haven't show. picked up a surfboard since I was 13, so no. <laughs> we, um, we, we've got a, uh, a, a very good show as always, John. Of course. You're kicking off? Yes, I am. Yes, um, lots of Great Barrier Reef news. Both a little bit sad and, um, yeah, a little bit positive too. So we'll see what we can, we'll see what we can do with that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. We're going to briefly, um, but very sincerely and with heartfelt sorrow, acknowledge the passing of John Clark. Um, in addition to being the brilliant man he was uh, in the world of satire, he was also an incredibly passionate advocate for um, the coastal environment and particularly Western Port. And mm-hmm. long-time Marinara listeners might remember it was actually back in 2009. I thought it was only a few <laughs> years ago. It was eight. 
uh, he came in and spoke with us with John Swan, um, mm. um, both Johns being the founding uh, members of the Western Port Seagrass Partnership. Yeah. Um, so in weeks to come, uh, I think we should play our interview with the two Johns again. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. But for today, um, we're going to play uh, just a little piece that he did a little bit further along in the program um, from a series he did for Birds Australia called Farewell Shorebirds, um, featuring Triple R's very own Sean Birdman Dooley. Mm-hmm. But um, of course, not just John Clark, it was a Clark and Door uh, collaboration. So we'll be playing one of those today. Okay. Uh, then PT Hirschfield's going to be joining us in studio, and we may well hit PT up for a dive report as well <laughs> she dives pretty much every day um don't know if she's diving today because she's in here this morning she's going to be talking to us about a growing concern um, amongst divers who are spotting more and more um the slaughter of some of our rays in port phillip and uh, bay and i'm assuming it's happening elsewhere pt can tell us about that all kinds of different rays that are just sudden appearing under piers um dead mm, and yes. and dead from quite violent means. So it's really concerning and PT is going to talk to us about that and a group that she's starting up to raise awareness, which is what it's called, uh, and, and try and bring some action to stop this from happening. And then to close the show, Jeff Maynard's coming in and he all I know, John, is he's bringing a film about nautical knots. Nautical knots. Yes. Knots as in the uh, speed or knots as in the tying knots? Ah. And the well, he, he did say dust off your ropes. So okay. I'm assuming they're the knots of the tying variety. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yes, looking forward to that. So the weather today though. Yes. Yeah, it looks like a pretty good start to the week. Nice. Considering what we've had. Mm-hmm. 21 degrees today. Um, no rain until until Thursday. So it's lovely. And Wednesday, Bron, I know I'm skipping Tuesday. And Monday, but Wednesday's going to be 27. Oh. The magical, beautiful 27. We'll so, guys, yeah, it's looking pretty nice. So, today we've got 21, tomorrow 23, uh, and then Tuesday 25, Wednesday 27, and all sunny. All sunny and reasonably sort of light winds. So, actually, it's going to be really good weather for getting out on the water mm. over the next couple of days. So, that's really good for people that, um, you know, on holidays or maybe taking a little bit of an extended holiday into the week. Um, really lovely weather and really um, particularly for the water. And then, yes, there's going to be a shower on Thursday and on a Friday and then on Saturday and then on Sunday. <laughs> but let's not think about that, all right? Um, so, yes, anyway, the weather's looking pretty good. I don't um, don't have any diving-related information, but maybe PT can help us about that a little bit later. Cool. Um, but, yes, uh, the surf, though, very important because, as we said, bells today. So um, at Torquay, we've got clean three to four foot Sowers, so not not very big. What's that one but to one point? Yeah, two, one five, to one. Roughly. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you'd say one one to one and a half there. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but at least they're kind of clean. They're not. You know, it's not been blown out. But um, with an offshore light nor'wester, um, looks a bit bit better down the Mornington Peninsula way, where um, it's looking at clean four to six foot sowesters. So a little bit better down there, I think. If um, if you're making a decision, you probably want to stay away. If you actually want to surf, you probably want to stay away from the from the surf coast anyway. I think it's going to be pretty chockers. Yeah, it'll be hard to mm. find a car park. Yeah, anywhere. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Hey, I reckon we've got time for quick news. Yeah, as I say, we've got a bit of Great Barrier Reef news. It's something that I've been following now for, for quite a while, and I'm sure I look, well, we, we have in, in Marinara. 
are and obviously there's a lot of lot of bad news um, and I'm going to start off with the bad news mm-hmm. and we might come back with a little bit more of a, you know, okay, guys, what, what, what can we start doing, you know, start doing about this? So I, I've been talking in the last couple of months about the second coral bleaching event that we've had in, in, in two years. So two summers and we've had two coral bleachings, bleaching events. And so last year it was mostly in the north, the far north, so basically Cooktown all the way up to the top. Now we've seen most of the coral bleaching occurring in the middle section of the reef. So from about Cairns to, again, to Cooktown. Mm. So over the past two years, we've had major or severe coral bleaching in two thirds of the reef, which, and, and some of those have had two years consecutively. And we just don't know if they'll be able to bounce back from those two, two consecutive years. So some, some reefs, yeah, have been hit really, really hard over this time. And then I guess really need to, to get, get out there just, just how, how, you know, uncommon this is and that we've only ever had four bleaching events ever on record. Ever. And this is even going back through through the cause to try to identify whether you know, it might have happened in the past to go back through the, you know, the, they actually drill down to the cause to find out, you know. Anyway, they're mag- magical science, let's just say. Um, and we've only had four and they've all happened in, you know, the last 10, 10 or 15 years. Mm. And two of them have been now. It's just, you know, and there's... Yeah, this is this is not normal, people. I guess this is what I want to reiterate. Do you think Do you think there's a, a lack of understanding out there about what the term bleaching actually means? Do you think at some level people think, oh, it's just that the corals are turning white? They don't realise that they're actually dying, well, and what that means for the entire tropical reef ecosystems. Well, the coral doesn't necessarily necessarily die. If it can get its if it get the symbiotic relationship back, right. um, then it can. You know, because it does expel it does expel the algae and so on. And but then, if they can get the algae back within a certain period of time, they can still they can still um, live. Like they, they can live right. a certain amount of time without that. So it doesn't necessarily mean they die, but it's about how stre- if they don't don't get that relationship back, find the algae to get the, the symbiotic relationship back, then yes, they will die over time, absolutely. Um, and particularly if the same coral does it twice, two years in a row, the chances of it of it's it dying is yeah, is a double hit. So I think th- it's um, the mechanism is not that important. In some ways, for the broader understanding, it's it's just the fact that th- this is not normal. Mm. You know, I think that that's, you know, and then we've got a real pro- real problem here. And the cyclones is interesting. And we want to update it with Cyclone Debbie, right, which we just had, which caused, all, uh, you know, some real devastation up north. Um, but it's come a little bit late in the season to cool the waters. So what we had um, what we had last year, the reason why it only hit the north of the reef is that we had a cyclone in, in Fiji and then that kind of came through with a lot of rain and so on and then cooled the water and it's fine. But unfortunately, cyclone, Debbie was a bit late for that and actually it's only compounded the problem by causing a lot of cyclone damage to the reef. So actually in, in years like this where you get bleaching and you get a cyclone in the same part of the reef, you know, mm. yeah, again, really, really bad stuff. Anyway. Triple R declares an April amnesty. Feeling the guilt of being a freeloading listener? Subscribe and go in the running to win a handmade four-seater dining table made from recycled Australian hardwood timbers from Andrew Gibbs Furniture Design. A gift certificate to spend online at lovehate.com.au. Thoughtful Melbourne designers of contemporary jewellery. Courtesy of Sourdough Kitchen, a voucher for catering, gelato, bread, pastries and coffee, all made from Victorian produce. A collection of 10 books from Scribe Publications, one of Australia's leading independent book publishers. Dinner for two at Choo Choo's at the top in town, plus entry to a top event of the winner's choice. 3 Triple R FM. Triple R's April Amnesty, running till April 30. 
to subscribe, call 9388 1027 or go to rrr.org.au. <laughs> Yes, and we're going to continue a bit of a conversation about the Great Barrier Reef. Yes. I talked about a bit of negative news, but I want to talk about what we might be able to do about it. Um, and, of course, the climate change aspect behind the warming temperatures of the of the ocean up there and uh, driving the coral bleaching is something that we need to work on a global scale. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's, that's pretty clear, and I think um, that gets a lot of coverage. Um, just to give you an update on that, Australia's uh, greenhouse gas emissions did increase last year by 0.8%, so we are still doing our share to, to con- contribute to that, let's mm. just say, to, incre- to anyway, and to accelerate that, let's just say. Um, look, and there are two two quite interesting programs that um, I was looking into during the week. Um, first one was about monitoring the reef and using citizen science. So getting people out there to understand a little bit more about coral bleaching and, you know, where it's happening and, 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 and where and when. And um, this is going to be important because the Great Bay Reef is, you know, the biggest reef in the world. It's huge. You know, scientists can't get out there and, and do it and they try to do it planes and that sort of thing but getting people on the ground to be able to say all right this is a bleached reef or this isn't you know where we're having problems where are we not is really really important so a group called coral watch which was set up 15 years ago by the university of queensland to you know check corals basically how what, what, what's the health of our of our reef in different areas and so like um, what we have here with Reef watch. A reef watch, yeah, yeah, yeah very, very similar. Um, it can be done probably a little bit more passively. So whereas reef watch um, sort of relies on people really getting into the water and scuba diving and snorkeling, this can also be done basically by walking around at low tide as well. And so what it is, well, at least what, the, what the, the, the bleaching monitoring part of it is, is it's just a card and it looks like a paint colour chart or, um, you know, you know, one of those, uh, like a, a pH testing or something which changes colour, right, you know? And so you, you've got, and then it'll have six different colours. And so you'll know which, these are the corals, the red corals. And they should be, you know, bright red. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be a gradation of colours towards white. And you give them a, you give them a like score. A, so it's a health check. It's a health check, yeah. yeah and you cool. walk around and then there's the green ones. And then there's the blue ones. And then they've got all these shades of different colours. And so you go around and you work at how, you know, how healthy is that coral? Because the, the colour of it is directly related to how healthy and how, how, how much of those, of those, you know, how many of the little coral polyps are actually alive and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, filled, I guess, in there and they're not empty. So, um, so it's really cool. And it's been really, is being really, really successful. Um, and if anyone is interested in doing that, whether you're going, if you're going for a holiday up there or you live up there, check out coralwatch.org and um, you'll find out all about it. And they've got an app for the phone and all that stuff to put information in and, you know, do it on the web or whatever. So that's really cool. Anyway, that's not solving the problem, but it is something how people can um, can contribute to yeah. at least understanding a little bit Be more Be actively the engaged. That's it. That's it. Cool. Look, the other idea is a little bit more crazy. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work, but um, there's a there's a, a group called the Reef and Rainforest Research Centre, which is an uh, is an NGO up there, and it's supported by um, you know supported by CSIRO, it's supported by JCU, Griffith University, also a number of the sort of tourism bodies, and that's sort of like a collection of a whole lot of um, uh, of different interests around around the Great Barrier Reef um, area. And they're thinking, all right, well, what's the problem? Right, the water's too hot. Right, the water's too hot. Okay, what do they need? They need cold water. All right, where can we get cold water from? Right, where you can go, where's water colder? Cold, water's colder, deeper. Mm. All right, how can we get the deep water up onto the reefs? Ah, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Interesting, uh, hey? interesting thought. Exactly, because coral bleaching really only happens in about a two-month period, or maybe eight to ten-week period during the year. So you know, the, at the end of summer, where everything's really, really hot, that's when. And so, and in certain years, 
when say you know the, the certain conditions which create which mean that water is, is hotter right often you know there's not strong currents there's not strong weather there's just so you've got the sun beating down it's shallow you're low tides all those sort of things and just contribute and just causes this right or compounding factors so um so it's not saying there needs to be sort of you know you don't need to pump this water all the time but maybe you can just pump it during during the times when you know it's going to be, be an issue so they're looking at engineering sort of you know these big you know i don't know if, whether it be a part of a boat or a floating solar powered thing yeah to pump was, up that was yeah, it was solar, yeah it was yeah it's all designed solar to be solar powered but to pump that water up from the edge of the reef so deep on the edge of the reef up on top of the reef and so I imagine they'd need to be mobile because you don't need them there all the time. You only need them there for that sort of two-month period where you might see the bleaching. Obviously, it's not going to happen all over the reef. You can't yeah. have that. Long, but I think they would focus on sort of the key, you know, the key tourist reefs and the key, you know, reefs that might be high in biodiversity and those sort of things. So is this just a concept at this stage? It's or just it... a concept. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's just a concept. But, you know, I mean, when we get to the point where we're engineering solutions like this, you know, when we are, we're pretty desperate. Yeah. Uh, we're really desperate. And, um, but yeah, anyway, it means that, I mean, you're always going to be fighting nature. That's the crazy thing, you know, and then if you turn it off in, you know, if it works and then 25 years you go, oh, you turn it off then that reef's gone, you well, know. It's, it, it, you haven't given it the time to adapt. You haven't, um, you know, you've just sort of, it, it's only alive because of our engineering solutions. So whilst, whilst it sounds great, um, yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily the way of the future. But mm. anyway, some, some interesting, maybe it'll be like a zoo reef in 50 years' time. The, the only ones existing will be the ones with these pumps pumping the water. Anyway, it's a sad, sad thought. But uh, It is an interesting concept though. Mm. Anything else? No, that's it. That's it? Yeah. Okay. All right. What we're going to do now and mentioned at the start of the program is um, acknowledge the passing of John Clark. And he, I, I'm sure all of you listening would have had the same response as all of we did, which was just utter shock when we heard and no one would have seen this coming. Um, Western Port Seagrass Partnership uh, are feeling it um, extremely acutely. John Clark was the founding member of the Western Port Seagrass Partnership along with John Swan uh, and they've um, put out a, a statement um, expressing obviously um, their, their great sadness and what this means for them. One, a couple of things that um, John did, if you missed the start of the program, we were talking about back in 2009, the partnership released uh, a, a DVD called Western Port, the DVD. And, and John had quite a big part to play in that. And that's why they came into Triple R was to talk about that um, with us on, on Marinara. Uh, another great thing that John did was um, with Brian Dorr, was uh, a, a small series for Birds Australia called Farewell Shorebirds. And uh, a few of you out there have been sending me links to this during the week. So um, we thought we would play one of these now and uh, and particularly in the weeks ahead, I'm, I'm pretty keen to make some contact with Birds Australia and, and, and it's coming up. May is the migrating season for the shorebirds. So I hope you enjoy this one. Um, this is uh, John Clark and Brian Dorr, Farewell Shorebirds, The Redneck Stint. Good evening, and uh, thanks for coming up off the beach. Oh, it's terrific. a great pleasure. Uh, very nice to be here. I haven't got long. We're no, no, a bit busy with that. packing up. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I've got a few questions I need to ask. Yeah, okay. Is that all right? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Now, um, you're a redneck stint, aren't you? I am a redneck stint, yeah. yes. Good evening. You don't seem to have a very red neck. Well, no, the red neck is really a feature of the breeding part of the oh. year, the breeding season, the breeding plumage. And the breeding season hasn't started hasn't yet. really started right, yet, but I'll tell you what, Brian, when it does... Yeah, you'll become an Australian. No, 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 it's just that your neck reddens up a bit. Oh. 
your neck, oh, your neck just gets, gets redder. Can't read my own writing yeah, here. No, yeah, no, I'm a redneck. Yeah. You said you're packing up. Where are you going? Siberia, Brian. Uh, we right. go to Siberia every year, eastern mm-hmm. Siberia, which is absolutely lovely. Yeah, that's a fair way to travel, isn't it? It's 11,000 kilometres, Brian, yeah. Oh, that's a huge distance. Well, you know, you get used to it, Brian. I mean, sure. if you want to think of it in human terms, it's about the distance between here and Siberia. Right, goodness me. Yeah. Um, and a few of you go? Yeah, we normally get a pretty good turnout, Brian. Um, yeah. Some of the young ones, you know, are not up sure, to it yet. Sure. And some of the older ones perhaps aren't up to it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we get a uh, very Quite good turnout, yeah. How many of you are there? Altogether? Yeah. About 300,000, Brian. Wow, mm. that, that's a lot. Mm. And, and how do you actually get there? Well, Brian, we fly, we're birds. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yes, yes, of course, I understand yeah, we that. Fly but there. it's still a long way, and I mean, it's got to be difficult. Well, you know, Brian, we, we get we get used to it. Uh, it sure. takes it out of you, but we. It's you know, what a question we do. I've always asked. Yeah. One to ask a bird mm. is, how do you sleep when you're in the air? Well, that's a very good question, Brian. I'm glad you brought that up. I can micro sleep. I can shut down half my brain for a very, very brief period. Really? Yeah, I just did wow. it. When? Just then. Really? Yeah. You want to see it again? Yeah. There you go. Good morning. Nice yeah. to see you, Brian. Sorry, I. Now you're doing it yourself, you see. Isn't it refreshing? Wow. It's very refreshing. And then you can continue, of course. And, and who's in charge of you all? I mean, how, how do you know where you're going? I mean... You're not a bird, are you? Well, no, I'm a human. No, you're a human. Yeah, no yeah. wings, you see. There's your trouble, Brian. Right. It's a bit hard to describe flying to someone who hasn't done it, really. But uh, Yeah, but you must have a system. I mean, well, how do you navigate? Well, we do it by instinct, Brian. Right, yeah. instinct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, can, uh, you can follow us if you like. If you're very, very interested, there's a website you can go to and you just register. That'd be great. You can follow the whole trip, yeah. yeah well, when are you going? Pretty soon, Brian. We're just waiting for the weather to break. Are you really? on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah, I'll tweet you. Great. I'll tweet you when we're going. Terrific. PT Hirschfield knows our bay and its marine life inside out. She dives pretty much every single day and she joined us recently for our 20th anniversary OB in Rye to talk about the need to look after the animals and plants that call Port Phillip Bay and Western Port home. Diving so much means that as well as seeing some of the great things in our embayments, PT and other regular divers regularly witness some atrocities, including the routine killings of our magnificent rays under jetties and piers. In the words of the Lemonheads, it is indeed a shame about Ray and joining us now to explore this issue and what can be done. We warmly welcome back to Triple R PT Hirschfield. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much. It's wonderful to have you here. What's going on? So basically we've got a few issues that as a dive community and even members of the broader community, locals, tourists, even members of the fisher community are concerned about. Um, To really put this fairly complex issue into a nutshell, I'll break it down into two problems and a solution and then we can come back and talk about some of those complexities. But really one of the main areas of concern is the way that some fishers on piers are dealing with their unwanted catch. When I started diving seven years ago, right up through to this day, almost on every dive, um, I have noticed that there are these rays, fiddler rays, often known as banjo sharks, that essentially have been caught, pulled up, killed and unwanted and thrown back into the pier. And they're, they're, um, whether we see one, two, three, five, uh, one member of the dive community reported seeing up to 18 rays on a single dive. And they're obviously not things that the 
fishes on those piers are wanting to catch, otherwise they would keep them. Um, when I spoke to one older Italian fisher in the car park and I said, can you help me understand why there are so many of these rays that are just being thrown back? He said, I sit on the pier all day. Um, I catch very few fish. I'm frustrated. I get angry. I pull this up. I have to kill something. Right. I don't want it. I throw it back. Um, so the way that unwanted catch, it's, it's endemic to our piers. And it's not just the piers of Port Phillip Bay. It is the piers right across Melbourne, right across Australia. There are other groups campaigning for the same sorts of um, recognition and protection for rays that the group that I've just started um, and working with a group are doing. The second issue is how they deal with the, um, the the rays that they want to keep. And sometimes we will find, in fact, not sometimes, frequently, we will find rays that have been pulled up and cut in half because potentially um, not a lot of people eat ray. It, it is possible and there are perhaps some members of the community that, that have maybe a cultural preference for eating ray or they may want to strip the back end of it for bait they often will cut it in half without putting it um, you know killing it dispatching it first and that's actually um, against regulations um, for people not to return unwanted fish safely into the water unharmed immediately mm-hmm. you know that's fisheries 2009 regulation 101 you know you if, if you catch something you don't want to keep it has to go back into the water straight away unharmed unharmed. That is clearly not happening and that's not happening on a daily basis. I think it's okay to say that many fishers have got the right attitude and are doing the right thing, but in reality a lot of them either don't know because to get their fishing licence they can pay their money but not have to read or or um, agree to or comply with or even be familiar with the regulations um, or some of them don't care and we've seen some of that um, sort of attitude come through recently as well as we've started to talk about the raise and, you know, quotes um, that are that have been quite prevalent that where people have said well for every every whinging tree hugging hippie I'm going to go out and kill two two more rays um, who wants to add to the tally so there there is an issue that is pervasive enough for it to be a daily issue in fact two days ago we went out um, at short notice for the group um, which we haven't talked about yet but the project banjo uh, um, action group of of divers and people in the broader community who are actually saying you know this is this is an issue of sustainability of an ecosystem you know those rays have got a place there that needs to be respected um that ecosystem has to be kept healthy for fishers and for divers and for and for the sustainability and life of the bay um it's people who care about animal cruelty and saying well the rspca are not really able to or it's not their prerogative uh, not their priority to follow up on animal cruelty with marine animals, but then fisheries are great when we report it, but perhaps we need to go a step further in addressing these issues and say the solution for unwanted and wanted catch um, is actually protection of these rays at piers and it, jetties. It's both a simple and a complex issue, isn't it? it because is. this is not a matter of bycatch. This is a targeted uh, problem where um, there are, is a group of people out there that are targeting these particular types of animals and and killing them yeah, for reasons that are not to do with food or or yeah. you know their recreational fishing practices even the accidental catch and and how that's dealt with yeah. and you're noticing that in the evidence that you're finding as divers uh, in terms of what what you're finding under the piers um your group started so project banjo i think i called it 
raise awareness, but that's your that's your hashtag. Yeah. Um, R a y s awareness. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it started in late February, but things kind of escalated with the killing of a smooth ray, and this is this is where things got personal for you, isn't yeah. it, PT? Yeah. So yeah. tell us that story. What happened? So yeah, we started the group, and it, it turned out that there were a lot of divers like myself and other water users who had been very angry for a very long time, but felt a little bit disempowered and isolated, not quite sure what to do. And I, I personally, late February, was diving, and I, I just I looked at one more dead ray. And I just said, I just cannot see one more dead ray that's been killed for no reason, thrown away like rubbish under the pier without doing something. So I started a a, a group and um, people very quickly got on board. And um, then last week, um, my buddy Mark Jones and I were diving under Rye Pier. And, you know, let me just say these these big smooth rays, we've really got these two that are, are quite endemic to the piers. We've got the banjo sharks or fiddler rays. And we've got these massive smooth rays that are like... Uh, four metres long and over two metres wide and... The smooth, um, the smooth ray is just putting a visual on it. They're, it's like a big... They're the rays, when people think about the word ray or stingray, yeah. mm. big round thing with a tail off the end and a couple of eyes on the top. Yeah. They're actually the largest in stingray in the world. Yeah. They grow, right. yeah, for stingrays, not manta rays, but stingrays. Yeah. stingrays. And unfortunately, when people think of those rays too, they also think of Steve Irwin. Mm. Um, you know, I think since 2006, we've had this global fear and distrust of rays. Um, and trust me, if they were the malicious manhunters that, um, you know, people have started to, in modern mythology, believe, like, you know, Spielberg's Jaws, um, then I wouldn't be here today. You know, anyone who's encountered them knows they're big, tame puppies. And that's... That's part of the problem why they need this protection is they're very trusting, they're, they're resident mm. to those peers and they, they pose no threat. They're very gentle, docile, non-aggressive animals. You know, in Steve Irwin's case, and that's the question that always gets raised, um, you know, well, what about Steve Irwin? And the reality is that rays are docile, but if they feel threatened and they feel like they need to defend themselves, maybe there's this really enthusiastic energy coming over the top of them, then that could very well end in a really regrettable accident. But Steve Irwin, he was the fourth person in Australia to ever be killed as a result of an accident with a ray. Well, as any animal would. And you refer to them as being like puppies and like dogs. And dogs have got teeth. And if a dog feels threatened enough, it will bite. So there's not really any difference here, is there? Same goes with a possum. You don't grab a possum. You don't, you know. Or a koala. Or a koala, any of these. They can give you some real nasty... They'll defend themselves as any animal would. They're wild animals. Yeah, Mm. so we we know these rays quite well within the dive community. They're, They're kind of... They're a bit celebrity, not just divers but tourists and locals alike. And uh, we dive with them frequently, photographing them, videoing them and trying to raise awareness um, that, you know, they're not what people may otherwise believe them to be. And so uh, last week my buddy Mark Jones and I um, came across one of the rays that we know very well as a local resident ray of Rye Pier. And it was under the pier um, with its wings hacked off and its tail hacked off. Um, There wasn't any obvious sign that it had been dispatched prior to that happening. It is possible that it had been pulled up and then, you know, bashed in the skull with a mallet to kill it. Um, But even that, you know, when it's it, it, you it's a big puppy dog of a ray um, we think that that perhaps isn't isn't good sport and good practice and that we we have to respect the place of these rays and the photo that Mark Jones took of myself with a ray um, 
it had more of a response on my own Pink Tank Scuba page than anything else I've ever put up over a, around 100,000 engagements, over 1,000 responses, most people furious, angry. This is, this is a global audience mm. saying, why is this happening? This is not okay. Um, you know, I think sometimes you, you see a, a picture of a, a fiddler ray or a banjo shark, and you go, that doesn't look that different to a fish. But once you realise that these, these magnificent animals are, you know, not what we have believed them to be but have a really important role, people have really started to speak up and wanting to be involved in a very active campaign to see their protection at rays and, and uh, sorry, at jetties and piers. Mm. So PT, what are the current regulations around catch or take of number one, the banjos uh, yeah. and number two, the, the smooth rays? Yeah. So Because um, you can catch, I believe you, you can take banjos. You can. Yeah. You can take them. Although um, they're not being taken. Although the fishes the that catch them are generally throwing oh, them absolutely. back in tags. So and and as we really say, this them. is a complex issue because yeah. you have people taking them for food. Yeah. You have people catching them and throwing them back um, uh, dead. And then you have people who are deliberately going out just to kill. And so there's three different issues that probably have to be, you know, tackled That's in right. different ways. Yes. But starting with that first one yeah. about people who are, I guess, um, legitimately taking them for food. Yeah. Um, what, are the, what are the regulations around how many you can take or what, what you should be doing with yeah. them? Yeah. So when, when I spoke to fisheries about the big smooth ray, um, that this is Fisheries Victoria. Oh, Fisheries Victoria, yep. yep. So um, obviously there's the one three fish line for people who see offences that they're able to report them and that's one of the initiatives that we really want to get behind. The fisheries have been great in following up um, within the constraints of their resources, the... the um, the reports that are made to them. But um, they're, they're allowed to take um, one big smooth ray um, and they can take, uh, I think it's an um, unlimited number of, of banjos, um, which is outrageous with no minimum bag size. Just on that, uh, yeah. you would need to have a recreational fishing licence, wouldn't you, in order to be able to do that? Yes. So when that's, you say people true. can take, they need that's to have true. that licence in the first place. That's and, correct. And can I say, we, we also know very little about these, and particularly about about smooth about smooth rays, and I've done a little bit of work into smooth rays, and we know very little, very little, if not nothing, about their populations in Port Phillip Bay. Banjos we know are highly abundant um, all across Port Phillip Bay, but we actually we don't have any numbers on that. So it's it's just this yeah. is this my ecological perspective, just sort of sort of mm. seeing what we actually know about them. But um, in terms of in terms of if there is un, unlimited, I didn't realise it's unlimited um, potential take of, of of banjos, which is um, yeah that could be a cause for concern. We've got um, Jeff Maynard coming in shortly, so we've got a couple of minutes left. Just wanted to talk about what your group is planning on doing PT. So you had a gathering, you were saying a couple of days ago. What happened there? Yeah, so this group is really committed to seeing this um, situation turn around and we, we had an opportunity to have a photo shoot with the Herald Sun the day before yesterday and with less than 12 hours notice we had um, a really good number of people turn out for that and uh, so we're encouraging people to report to fisheries to write to their um, local MPs to write to the Minister for Agriculture Jala Pulford and um, the state Minister for Agriculture, the Shadow Ministers, to write to fisheries and to, to really put this on the agenda. Um, as we know, fisheries have got, um, or the state government has got a, a target one million um, to increase the number of fishes in Victoria. Um, and with I think that's by 2020. Within that time, currently there are 750,000 licensed fishes. And so that's a quarter of a million fishes. A lot of those are going to wind up being on the piers. Um, so now is probably a really 
really good time to think, well, what are we, what are we going to do if, if these rays need protecting, which we strongly believe that rays at piers and jetties should be protected. And there's an excellent precedent um, in Western Australia. Fisheries have, in 2015, they've actually got protection for smooth rays and black rays for exactly the same reasons that we are talking about because of their, um, their value to tourism, their value in the ecosystem. And so we think now is really timely um, and we're very committed to seeing that this gets put on the agenda, stays on the agenda and, and comes through to a better solution because it's going to be better for the, the divers, the fishers, the rays and the ecosystem, Port Phillip Bay and all the waters that these rays inhabit. Where can our listeners go for more info? You've got a Facebook group. Yeah. It's, it's a closed group, but that doesn't preclude people from joining. That's right. So if anyone's listening, and, and that's, that's, that's whether you're, you're an advocate, a diver, a fisher who wants to see more responsible fishing practice, um, you know, we, we would love everyone to be on board with these initiatives and there are going to be lots of opportunities to get involved coming up. And so that Facebook page is called um, Project Banjo Action Group and just put your membership request in and and, um, we look forward to joining with you and working together to better outcomes. And make sure you do include the words action group because I just um, typed in Project Banjo and there was some banjo (laughs) musical (laughs) group from the US that popped up. So Project Banjo Action Group and your your tag is uh, hashtag... Hashtag raise, R-A-Y-S, awareness. Fantastic. PT, thanks so much for coming in. We're going to continue to follow this up throughout the year uh, because it is a big issue. Um, We've had a a phone call um, while we've been going to air. Um, Kent, who's panelling for us today, couldn't take the call. Um, So uh, if you call back when we have uh, our next track on or even at the end of the show, we'll be able to have a quick chat to you Um, and and also before you came in. So this is a big issue and people are listening and uh, I think we can very confidently say we all want this resolved. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming in. G'day, John Clark here. When I want to learn about all things wet and salty, which is a pretty much constant desire on my part, I tune into Radio Marinara Sunday mornings at 9am on 102.7 3 R. Oh. Oh, John Clark. So going to miss John Clark. All right, it's nine minutes to ten and... Jeff Maynard, good morning. Good morning. Great to have you in. Thank you. I'm intrigued. Nautical knots. Nautical knots. Yes. And so we're talking about the knots as in uh, involving ropes, not involving the speed of a boat. Neither. Or maybe neither. Neither. No, we're talking about a 19 sort of 60s and 70s nerdy Disney sidekick actor called Don Knotts. Ah, oh, mm. yes. And and he always played the sort of goofy guy that couldn't get things right. And in this movie, he's in love with fish. The movie is called The Incredible Mr Limpet. And it's set... I know this movie. Everyone should know this movie. (laughs) Well, considering you did a PhD on limpets, Bron, it's it's not surprising. But we won't take you as a general, you know, public... Don't judge me. Don't judge me. It's set in 1941. It looks... It's made in about 1960-something, and it looks 1960-something, but it's actually set at 1941 uh, in America, of course, uh, outbreak of World War II. And Don Knotts plays Henry Limpet, who's a, a complete fish nut. Um, but he's done something silly. He's married someone called Betsy, who flounces around the apartment in one of those little frilly aprons and a push-up bra and orange lipstick. And, um, and why she married him, I've got no idea. But uh, 
there's another character called George, and George is a sailor. He's joined the Navy to help the, the war effort. And George comes over to the apartment. George is far more interested in Betsy than anybody. And, and Don Knotts, uh, Henry, is only interested in his fish. And anyway, uh, George comes up with an idea to have some fun. I hope. Well, say we clear the decks for action. Go dancing. Be like shaking a leg, Henry. I can't. I have this faulty equilibrium, you know, due to poor vision. Don't, don't worry. We'll think of something exciting. Say, listen, I have an idea. Why don't we all go over to the university tomorrow for Professor Hoffmeyer's lecture? Lecture? Yeah, on decapods of the genera Pagurus. <laughs> you know, George, he's, uh, he's going to talk about the uh, mating habits of the shellfish. <laughs> it's a little risque. <laughs> sort of for adults only, you know. <laughs> Uh, I'll just pass on that action, Henry. I got a weak heart. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bet- Betsy jumps around. Anyway, Hen- Henry's studied his fish and he's he's done his Bron Burton sort of stuff, uh, worked it all out. Uh, but the good thing about Henry is he's got a he's got a um, a bigger picture message for the world today, and that's why this movie's so important. And uh, he, Henry just sort of stares into his gold, goldfish bowl and um, he, he, he's worked it all out. So he explains to George and to uh, Betsy what's really going on in the world. Look at him, George. Always drawing into his shell, going off into his fish world. Do you realise that our ancestors were fish? Maybe your ancestors, Henry, not mine. I can explain. He sure can, George. He's read hundreds of scientific books on the subject. He claims millions of years ago there was nothing but fish in the world. That's right. And then, you see, some of those ancient creatures, they became amphibians. And they crawled out on the land, you see. And then millions of years later, they became men. (laughs) Well, I know some who ought to crawl right back again, Henry. But doesn't that give you a kind of a thrill of hope, George? Hope for what, Henry? Well, with the war in Europe and new weapons being invented all the time, why... What if men were actually foolish enough to destroy themselves completely? Then you see the fish in the ocean would develop into a new race of men, and, well, this time they might turn out better, you see? So, hope for the world, you know. Wow. When, when all our leaders with bad haircuts and fixations on big bombs and things and... Uh, yeah, we uh, can just start again. Up, we'll, we'll just pick up where fish. we left off. We'll start again under the under the jetties in Western Port Bay, and <laughs> it, it'll all be good. So, is this meant to be a comedy? Yes. Or, is it, or is it meant to be educational? Or is no, it meant no, to be... it's a comedy. It's a comedy, I've okay, picked, right. I, I've okay. done my homework and picked out the educational bits. For, okay, right, you know, okay, right. Listeners. But no, <laughs> George actually becomes a sort of animated fish. He falls in the water, turns into a fish, and he pops up sort of with glasses on. And uh, George's friend is in the Navy. America is in the war. They have a problem with Nazi submarines. So uh, Henry swims around, spots the submarines, talks to George, and the American Navy can bomb all the Nazis. And fish, and everyone loves fish. And it, well, not quite. Just <laughs> at, before the big Except battle the scene when they're going to bomb all the When uh, Henry falls in the water, uh, he keeps his glasses. He needs, he's this fish swimming around animated with his little glasses on. And just before the big scene, uh, he loses his glasses and he can't see the Nazi submarines. But fortunately, he's uh, made friends with Mr. Crab <laughs> and Lady Fish and they guide him to the Nazi submarines and he tells the US Navy and, uh, and, and World War II would have ended four or five years earlier if it, if, yeah, if yeah. it had been true. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But look, it's it's the last the last track I've got is a, a song for Bron, and it's when George is in his apartment mm-hmm. and he's daydreaming. He's staring into his uh, little aquarium, his fishbowl, and he just goes off and busts into a song. Fish, fish have a better life than people. I wish, I wish, I wish I were a fish, cause fishes have a better life than people. They don't have all the care and strife of people. A fish can swim, that's all they ask of him. A fish is free to roam around the sea and look for love wherever he can find it. He flirts with every lady fish as she goes swimming by. And if she gives her tail a swish and winks a fishy eye, a minnow all at once can be a whale of a guy. I wish, I wish I were a fish. Henry, the water! <laughs> oh, Jeff, that was lovely. So, uh, no, uh, funnily enough, um, when he becomes a fish, Henry stays a fish and he uh, meets a lady fish, he calls her, and she takes him off to the spawning grounds. He feels <laughs> terrible about this because he's got a wife in Brooklyn, uh, but she's being looked after by George. And the movie actually starts in the 1960s and it sort of goes back in time because um, they go into their top-secret facility and George says, oh, I wonder where Henry is, and um, uh, he's still in the ocean 20 years later. And the Navy seek him out to do research on because they now want to train dolphins to blow things up or something. So the movie starts with the Navy doing another respectable thing, like going around finding Henry for that. Um, but it was actually quite a big deal movie back in the in the 60s because it was actually animated and, and, and real action. And to have this little Henry popping up out of the water was uh, pretty spectacular stuff. So it's... Um, the name the of the film? Mr Limpet. Incredible Mr Limpet. And I think it's on... YouTube for free if you want to <laughs> kind of watch it, but you'll fast forward through most of it. So. I'm going to go and make that my uh, Easter Sunday viewing. I think Jeff. I, uh, the kids, the kids would have a lot of fun. It's very sweet. Yeah, it is sweet. Hey, thank you. You're welcome. Any clues on next time? None whatsoever. Excellent. We'll just maintain the status quo then. <laughs> That's excellent. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks to PT Hirschfield for coming in as well. Thank you, John. Thank you, Bron. And thank you, Kent. I think Kent's sticking around and panelling for the doctors. There's a hundred of them out there having a bit of a parte. Mm, Making a lot of noise. Yeah, indeed. On next week's program, Angeline's coming in. Rex is coming in too. Other than that, I'm not sure. Yeah. We'll we'll do something that's going to uh, educate and entertain. And stimulate. And stimulate. And, John, you'll be in in a few weeks? Yeah, I reckon. Excellent. Hey, have yourselves a wonderful Easter Sunday. Um, Happy Easter for those of you out there who do the Easter thing. If you're away enjoying your long weekend, well, hope you're having a wonderful time and get out there and enjoy everything that is uh, so wonderful about our marine and coastal environment. We'll catch you next week. Bye for now. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.